Hello everyone and welcome to Times Cast. It is what is the day? Saturday, May eleventh, six thirty PM or sometime around there. We have a guest on the show, John. Are you there? Hello everybody. Oh yes. And so recently, I guess um you could say Google has been focusing more on privacy, which is funny because they not too long ago removed the clause "Don't be evil." Uh, ooh. So, why they decided to remove that, I don't know. Are they being evil? We don't know. We will have to find out. However, this latest Android Q, according to ThreatPost.com, Android Q will also feature a new section at the top of its settings called Privacy. Now, I don't really have any beef with this. What I do have a beef with is the, the the fact that they're introducing features that should have been part of Android and smartphones alike 10 years ago. Like, for example, location. Now, not only do you get to control when your location is shared and what it is not, but you get to share or you get to make a distinction between... Does that app get to use your location while it is in the background? For example, people may use Foursquare. Yeah, Foursquare is that still a thing? Yeah, Foursquare to check in. And the only successful way to actually use Foursquare is to let it, you know, run rampant in the background so that it can tally up your score for you instead of having to each and every time you get to you know a new place you got to open up foursquare again but maybe that's how you want it maybe you don't want facebook to know where you're at at all times because facebook does have a feature called nearby and it actively pulls for your contact list around you i don't know if this guy if this uh creeps you guys out or not but my thing is i don't think they're focusing on privacy. What I think they're doing is they're not showing you any of these advertisements anymore that they're saying. They're, Apple's even focusing on resetting, or it might be Android, but they want to reset or revoke advertiser privileges more. I don't think they're doing this. What I think they're doing is they're still showing those advertisers' behavior. What do you think, John? I think that... They're making a shift away from advertising that your privacy is like automatically off by default. If you go into any Android device and you go to your Google account and you click manage, it will take you usually to a web page in Chrome or whatever browser that phone has. And it'll give you the web page to manage your Google account and your Google history. And if you look at that, your timeline is on by default. Your location at all times as long as location is on on the device and that permission is not revoked by Google and Android itself, it will log where you're at on a map. And you can go back and scroll at any point in time, like a week ago at such and such time, and you can see where you were at. And it's down to like a quarter mile accuracy. I mean, you can pretty much tell every store, every business, every house that you visited. And a lot of people don't know that that's on by default. By default. Yeah, and I believe even that it turns itself back on if you still choose to turn geolocation tagging on on your pictures so that you know where you took all your pictures. I don't know about that one. I haven't. That's a good one. Uh, they might have they might have updated that since uh, 
No, I mean that's more. that's a that's a good but catch. No. I didn't I didn't even think about you know how they get you to turn it back on indirectly without you you know realizing. Yeah, so it's not that they're covering it up. It's just they're not making it as plain as day that these things are on and are happening. I mean, you could change to a new phone from one that didn't have that setting or that version of the Google apps installed, and it will turn itself on just as part of your user agreement that you're using it. And unless you go in and dig through these settings to find out, you won't necessarily know that it's on. But once you get in there, you can see it all. I mean, you can even track in your Google activity. If you manage your Google activity, you can see exactly what application that you used on your phone or whatever device that you're logged in on. You can see what device you used the app on and how long you were on it. This so you can, you can tell how often you're using Facebook and how often you're using Chrome and on what device. I think, And it's really kind of creepy for people that share Gmail accounts across multiple devices. Mm-hmm. Can't you tell battery life too? No? Um, I'm not sure. I think I've seen that once. Maybe it was a third party. I'm not, I'm not sure what the purpose in that would be necessarily though. Well... That's a, that's a good point. What What is a malicious intent for knowing through a web browser remotely what the battery life of a device is? I could, I could see a good point in it if you've lost your device and you're actively trying to track where it is, like the Find My Device or Recovery. I mean, it's... it's I, 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 I say this not lightly at all. I mean, it's an unlikely scenario, but I guess it could happen. But imagine if, if, if someone, a stalker, is stalking you and they need to know when you're most prone to not be able to call for help. That would that, be. That would be. But, that would that be, but I, I mean, like inside the app, like can we view? I think I've seen it once. I, I could be just thinking of another app. There's an app though, and I, I'm at loss. Sorry guys, I'll have to find it and put it in the description when I can. But I hate apps because there's an app for everything. There, there is an <laughs> app for everything. Uh, but what it did is it. It told you, it displayed what your Android phone, what connections it was making at any time. Um, I think it was like Network Snitch or App Snitch. I think it was called App Snitch. Don't quote me. Let me put the official one that I use. I don't want you guys accidentally downloading malware because we all know that happens periodically throughout the Google Store. They remove various apps that contain malware that somehow made it through. Anyway... I thought when I tried this app that it would be exactly what I want. Because I don't know about you, John, but I tune my phone. Like, I go through each push notification, I shut it off, you know, and, like, I don't want that. I don't want Twitter notifying me. I don't want this notifying me. I don't want that notifying me. Because this kind of, it smooths down your connections. It doesn't make as many call-outs, or so you would think. Well, when I ran this app, of course it told me that Google was making call-outs. Duh, it's the operating system. But two, it brought up this game that I have, haven't even played in three weeks. I shut off the push notifications. I don't update it. Yet, it is making regular two to three minute call-outs on its own. What is that app doing? And that scared me. I was like, whoa, I'm installing that game. Because I did not request that. I told it to shut off, yet it is still running rogue. I mean, 
that's the kind of privacy that I want Google to focus on. And why did it take a third-party app to actually let me in on this information? So, what what kind of phone are you using? Uh, it's a mid-tier Samsung uh, Aura J3. Okay, so so there may lie part of your problem because, as we all know, Android was uh, geared to be open source. This is another thing with Google's security thing is they're still the AOSP Android open source project, but even though Google's shifting to more of a solid and full Linux kernel for Android, they're still using a closed source for like the pixel code, the base code. They're offering that code to the other manufacturers, but people like Samsung and uh, HTC and manufacturers like that, they go and they modify the version of Android that goes onto their phone. And they, Samsung is fanatical about it. They radically changed the firmware from the bootloader on up into the system. I mean, the standard launcher is not there at all. They, HTC did that too, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned them just a moment ago. Um, oh, that's right. But when you go through and you mess with your firmware settings and you remove sections of the stock kernel, you lose access to seeing some of those things by default. I mean, that may be an issue more for the manufacturer than Google until you look at a vanilla install of Android. This is true. Which I've run one um, a couple of times. I didn't explore it too much, but I, d I did run it on VirtualBox. And I, I, heads up, Google, I'm not talking shit on Android, but Android is ugly when you, as itself, it is ugly. You have to do, <laughs> you have to do so much to it to make it look good, which is what the Pixel does. Which is what Samsung does, or HTC, or a number of different companies. Um, Since the Pixel replaced the Nexus, I think the operating system that goes on the Pixel, especially since it's the one that's being provided to manufacturers to modify upon, should be the one that's available in the Android Open Source Project. I mean, are you sure about that, though? I mean, it's kind of like their sauce. I mean, it, they've always, with the Nexus, the Nexus was not manufactured by Google. It was just designed as to be the top of the line for that generation and that version of Android. And Who made so that again? Motorola? Huh? Who made that? Motorola? The Nexus? Yeah. Was that Motorola? It was, it was a competition. There was, um, there was a Nexus made by HTC. There was one uh, made by... Uh, HTC. Um, uh, Motorola did have one. Um, I'm trying to remember who made the others... Asus, the Asus had a Nexus tablet, I think. Well, I think they all kind of pitched in on the. From my recall, they they did a contest there after like the Nexus two or three, and it was just the manufacturers were pressed to make the best phone or laptop that they could and present it to Google, and Google selected one to be the Nexus. Yeah. Who's actually manufacturing the Pixel? Do you know? I don't know. Let's look. It, they're out of, I mean, they're Pixel 3 now? Yeah, the 3 is the newest one just come out. Hon High Precision Industry Company Limited. The original Pixels were manufactured by HTC, while last year Google split up the job between HTC and LG. That's who LG 
this year it's going to be different. It, Google is contracting directly with Foxconn, the Chinese company known wildly as the manufacturer of the iPhone. Foxconn is also the manufacturer of Sigfox and the developer for the code behind it, which is a really, I don't know if anybody knows or cares that's going to listen to this, what Sigfox is, but it's kind of like LoRaWAN in that it's a extremely long range wireless technology and low power. So with, you know, a couple within double digit milliwatts, you're supposed to be able to transmit data up to a range of maybe six kilometers, six kilometers. And I think that the, when it first came out, their aim was to have a backbone for this 5G generation that's coming out so that even if the Wi-Fi dropped, you would still have a low-energy solution similar to Bluetooth, but for long-range cellular type connection. And which is this used for a, again? Um, I'm not sure any official use for it right now because it's pretty much just in development boards. But... Let me pull it up. But like I said, I believe it was supposed to be intended to be a backbone for 5G for reliability in case you lost uh, or right here they're advertising it as a 0G network. Um, let me just read a little blurb from the site whenever it comes up. says, our unique connectivity solution provides the lowest energy consumption device to cloud by simplifying communications. We enable unbeatable low energy consumption. Soon there'll be no need for replacing a recharging battery since the device will generate energy themselves. Ooh, that's interesting. Sigfox is compatible with Bluetooth, GPS, 2G, 3G, 4G, and Wi-Fi by combining other connectivity solutions with Sigfox. Business cases and user experiences can be drastically improved. Can you post that and link share so I can get it up on the screen? Sure can. Thank you. I really need to plug a mouse into this thing. <laughs> I hate that. I don't know what I would do without a mouse. There we go. Yeah, I just want to get that up on the screen. Oh, and their little uh, metadata thing there says global communications service provider for the internet. I mean, they're still kind of in startup, just as Internet of Things is in its startup phase. But I expect we'll see some interesting things come about from this, more so than from Laura, because Laura seems overly complicated. Anybody that's interested in Laura, I will find a link and post for that as well. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea of this device is to simply just a, a fellover? It's a fellover for the fellover? It keeps connectivity going? Yeah, and it's also to free up bandwidth from other types of connectivity because it's it's not Bluetooth and it's not cellular and it's not Wi-Fi. It's on a different bandwidth, a different frequency, and uses a different mode of communication. And so it's almost like a tertiary connectivity point. But if we can... Put things that need long distance communication that's reliable, like uh, the security systems that we were talking about the other day, you know, like these home automation setups and uh, moisture sensors and farms and things like that, that they need this long range, low power setup. We can have them on that and not have to worry about drop packets and about clogging up the Wi Fi and the Bluetooth 
with all these MAC addresses and having to move to, you know, an IPv8 or something to address everything. Yeah. Okay. And since this is based on an old, uh, I had to go back to read. I'm not sure if it's AM or FM, but it's based on simple radio communication that we've had for years. And it's in a lot lower frequency range. Like, I think it's in the megahertz. Hmm. Should be. And so the hardware to make that happen has, you know, been within a few cents for decades now. I remember in the late 90s, you could go to Walmart and for a dollar, you could buy a little FM radio that clipped on your belt. You just <laughs> a little set of headphones into, you know. That's the type of hardware that we're talking about using here. Nice. In addition to what we already have. Now you gotta. It's cheaper to buy an alarm clock if you want an FM radio. Nowadays. Yeah. Or a cheap prepaid phone that has one built into it. <laughs> or that. Or that. I mean, then you can even buy a little a little device for Android that connects your FM radio tuner to uh, an IP socket and you know, you transmit your FM reception from wherever you're at. I had I always tell people well I started saying it a few years ago once I realized yeah. the pricing of phones is the cheapest GPS and what the cheapest one of the cheapest and best GPSs that you can buy is a fifty dollar phone. Like yeah, it truly is. Y- you get that. Plus you get some other added benefits. Yeah, like if you need a phone, you like you're going on a vacation or a trip for a few weeks, just shell out the fifty dollars or sixty dollars. You got service, you got GPS. What else do you need for a backup phone? <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially if you're going to pay $50 for a GPS, why not get a phone that's got it and already has like a month's service with it in case your regular cell phone dies? I mean, exactly. Boom, you got one right there in the car that's probably already plugged up for your trip. Mm-hmm. Using yeah, it as a just, GPS, it's nobody knows the number. But I mean, even if you run out of service, nine one one still works from all these phones. Yes, yep, that is true. Um, it's amazing the people that don't know that that still works. And pay phones, even old pay phones on the side of the road. I don't know. There's a couple of them around here still, but they're not very common. I don't know if they are common anywhere anymore. But you can walk up to a pay phone as long as some little punk hasn't come by and bashed the hell out of the box. You can pick any payphone up and dial 911, or if you're in a house that has a landline phone laying around, even though most people don't have them connected, landline phones not only still work for 911, but they're a great source of free 9-volt power. Yeah, that too, because they carry their own power for the most part. Yeah, so sketchy grid living, off-grid living, if you need to charge your phone or something, make a little 9-volt to 5-volt converter, and you can charge your phone off the landline. For free, with your power shut off, if you're poor, or whatever. Mm. Maybe you're out hiking and you found an abandoned shack that used to have phone service, and you need to charge your phone. Or that's where your abductor has taken you. <laughs> um, a lot of times, these little wall warts that we use to charge phones with, even though they're rated for 120, the converter circuit in it will still usually accept a DC input, too, and usually convert it to the right voltage. Of course, 9 volts is a lot lower than 120, so, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, it does its thing. Nowadays, we're putting we're putting this uh, electricity, uh, or sockets, rather, in furniture now. We have 
USB oh, yeah, ports. I had a nice project on that a while back. I took a little log and I cut out for it and I put a metal electrical box down in it and drilled a hole through to the to the bottom right above the back of it and run a, an old extension cord that like a utility cord and had a bad end on it. So I cut the end off and run it up into the box and tied it into an outlet and bolted that outlet and stopped that log and it sits beside the couch. So you can just, whenever somebody's in needs to plug something up, instead of having to go and crawl behind the couch and everything, you just slide that log out and boom, right there's two outlets. It's right there. Yeah, see, I like I like things like that. I like where uh, it's becoming accessible. Um, where... I mean, we could have done that years ago. It's just people didn't. Some high-end sectional couches back in the 80s and 90s used to have an outlet in the console. Not really sure what for back in those days. but Well, yeah. if you think about it, they had accessories like we have today, right? Your smartphone, your laptop. But most of that, most of those utilities, well, now they're, I consider them utilities now, but most of that stuff was not very affordable. You know, so only like the people that could afford those big sectional couches and homes and stuff like that, that's why they had that stuff, because they actually had the money to exercise it. Whereas today, it, we're overwhelmed by it. You know, we go to someone's house and you're like, hey, I need a charge, and like five different people pull out their phones or their chargers and like, I can help you. But then you're like, I have an iPhone. And they're like, well, you're okay, sorry, you're shit out of luck. <laughs> Get the other charger. I just had a brilliant idea. So just to let everyone know, the next at least three minutes of my speech should be protected under the Creative Commons license, if that's even possible. But, uh, so yeah, if you steal my idea, give me credit, is all I'm saying. But we used to have the sectionals that we were just talking about. They used, also used to have phone jacks in them, and some of them even had a wired phone built into the console that you could pick up. Almost yeah, like the old car. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's got numbers on it. Why does, since we have these smart fridges and stoves and everything, why has nobody built a couch with a tablet in it? I don't know. Like, I, mean, I mean, I can see the problem of, you know, kids jumping up and down on it or something, but, and yeah, there's things like the Harmony Hub out and the former Harmony Remote that was touchscreen and all that, but what if that was already just built into your couch? Like Voice in the console? Yeah, so you just sit down, and it's almost like you're in a damn spaceship, and you can control everything in your house and your TV right there from the arm of your couch. What would be extra special is if it was kind of like – you remember when Microsoft first started out with the Surface, and it was this gigantic TV that made no sense? Do you remember I, that? Uh, not. Okay, well, when they first started demoing the Surface, it was a gigantic piece of $10,000 plus of equipment. Now, but the cool thing about it was one of the use cases they presented for it, I don't know if any company has ever did this, but they thought about placing it at a restaurant, like making it the table, so that people could order from the table, and then when you sit your drink on it, it interacts with your drink. So imagine having a tablet built into the console like you're saying, and you could sit your drinks on it, and it would acknowledge your drink. You know, it would do stuff like that. It would be more interactive. Something and, like that. And then it would already be done with an Arduino. So. Yeah. Well, the, what I'm saying is it would just make it more interactive. And then, like, the remote to the whatever, like, like curls up beside the drink, you know, make it, you know, goofy, cartoony-like and stuff like that. I think that yeah. idea would work. 
<laughs> I guess it would depend significantly on the touch technology because, as most people know, a lot of phones you get a drop of water or something on them, and you have to wipe it off and dry it before it's going to work. Yeah, it starts freaking out because it it yeah. does it doesn't it, know it, what to respond it, to. Drop. <laughs> so speaking of all that, I'm going to share something else interesting here in the links. Uh, project I've been looking at doing for a while. I've actually got a printer down at the lab I'm going to start with. But uh, this feller here has made a complete add-on touchscreen surface for any size TV based off of the sensor out of an old flatbed scanner and a few infrared emitters. And it even supports multi-touch. Um, he's personally made a touch game table with a Raspberry Pi. But See, that's, on... that's what I'm talking about. That type of stuff right there. I mean, this this is salvage commodity hardware that we're talking about here, aside from the Pi that he used, but I'm planning to write this down to where it'll run on an STM microcontroller, which should give me better resolution and a lot better response than trying to, you know, run it through the kernel of a full operating system. I mean, we have... Don't we have like floors and things like that that react to our feet when we walk around and stuff like that? Just like that same technology. Just we do. Put it into a tablet and bingo. And the the thing is, a lot of that technology is actually easier to develop in hardware than it is in software. And that might be why we don't have so many things like that in your use case scenario where you're talking about making a tablet that way. It's that too fragile. It would be more code than hardware because, I mean, it's easy to wire a switch, a pressure switch underneath the tile so that when you step on that tile that it sends a signal, it, you know, it makes a closed electrical contact back to the microcontroller. The microcontroller knows to do something different, to provide a different output to the LEDs or the controller or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lot harder to write all that in code to go, okay, let's change the user interface and bring up this application or this node oh, or this damn it. dad. I want it done. I want luxury. <laughs> what? I want luxury. Oh. Well, I mean, you gotta make it happen, man. You want it, build it. I always um, remind people that nowadays with the overflow of tablets, there's no reason why anyone shouldn't have a bathroom tablet either. I mean, they're like 30 bucks. <laughs> they're like 30 bucks. Just pick up the cheapest one you can find and throw it in the bathroom. It's there. You can jam out the music when you're taking a shower. Uh, you can watch YouTube while you're doing the number two business. I mean, it's it's great. Everyone should have one. Uh, I mean, like I said, the, the tablet that I use mainly right now is one of three that I was given in the same night by three different people, and they were all the same model RCA tablet, and not one of them liked it or wanted it, and they were just like, here, have this. And so I ended up with three identical tablets. One of them ended up having a battery failure later on, so I just popped the other one apart and took the battery out and swapped it over. And then uh, I got have a free screen. In general, so I took the battery out of the third one and put it in there too. So now I've got a dual battery set up on this tablet. <laughs> nice. Nice. And, I mean, it's it's complete junk. It, it pops apart with your nails. It it doesn't. It didn't come with screws from the factory. Uh, it was made sold by RCA, but made by some Canadian company. And yeah, it was thirty dollars new, like two years ago. 
I'm, I'm not really knocking RCA, but they, ha um, I have noticed that with their low, very low end tablets, they are very cheaply made. They, yeah, they feel they're, they're cheap. Not even RCA. They're just, they're kind of like a Chevy and Daewoo deal. You know, they take a Daewoo and slap a Chevy badge on it, and send it out, and calling it a Veo. Well, RCA takes a, a little Canadian or Korean tablet and slaps RCT and RCA on it and out the door. Yeah, it's not. They're not. I mean, really, for thirty dollars, it's got yeah, 10 gigs of RAM, ten gigs of memory and a gig of RAM. I mean, that's what I'm saying. And not only that, if if you look at a lot of the lower end tablets, some of the reason why I applaud these lower end tablets is because uh, they don't really mess with the Android firmware. No, and they're very much. Yeah, that's I like that. Um. One thing that I will get to, where we were talking about the security of Google earlier, did you know that if you unlock the bootloader to go in and load a custom ROM, you lose features such as lock my device and find my phone. So if your device is stolen, unless you rely on a third-party application to do those functions for you, you're probably not going to be able to get on and track your phone or change the lock code. And even if you do, with that bootloader unlocked, the next person just has to plug it into a laptop with ADB and type in uh, fastboot yeah. unlock, and boom, it just wiped out your user your user information, everything. Your Google lock's gone. Your FRP's gone. And they just take over the whole device, which if they're a smart um, smartphone, th smart smartphone thief, <laughs> smart smartphone thief, they, they'll think about these things. Well, that that's what was... Uh, I was trying to get through to people about mod modifying their phones and rooting their phones that I would warn them of the of those very particular dangers that Google is not going to provide you that uh, comfort and luxury with your phone if you're not using their software. And this is notable when it comes to Google Chrome as well. When you use Chromium, which is, for those that don't know, Chromium is the actual base of Google Chrome. Google Chrome is just Chromium with Google branding and uh, subsequently their features too. So if you use Chromium, things like location services don't work. Um, I think a couple things with maps don't work and a few other things. But that's what Google does, especially in Android. So be careful rooting your phone um, or be careful loading a custom ROM. Be very prepared for those consequences if you actually want to find your phone. Another another big selling point to Chromium is just the fact that Chromium is, the as Nick said, is the fully open source version of Chrome, which means the source code's out and available. You can compile it yourself. You can take it to an independent firm or friend or some little kid that knows how to code, and they can, they can review the source code for that program and know that there's no back doors or traps set up in it. Like there was with the Google TV incident and things like that, or even Alexa listening in on people. Um, one of the things that I applaud about the Google Home system and the APIs for it is that it can be set to run completely offline. Whereas in Alexa and Siri, they require an internet connection to function. So, yeah, I don't like you know, that. If these back doors exist, which, as Alexa plenty of times over, it's been proven that it exists. Siri learns from you through some machine learning code, but we don't know how much of her machine learning code 
and her experiences are shared to the cloud to the other copies of Siri. But if you're ultra paranoid or even maybe the slightest bit paranoid, you can make your own Google Home device that will work without internet connection so that you can be worry-free of Google listening in or bringing the man down, as we like to say. There was a person that said that they could view other people's photos. I have it here. Someone else's photos are showing up in my Google Photos. They're not mine or anyone I know. Oh. Now, that could be if they bought the device secondhand and the original owner's Gmail is still logged into the system, then it can still copy the folders or backup and sync. And I, I about guarantee sure. you that their phone is syncing with another account through the Android operating system and not through the Google Photo app. Let's check this little link out and see what they're talking about. I'm trying to find the that's that's on Google itself, support forms itself, but I'm trying to find See, he, he, he even says in the first sentence, my Android phone and MacBook Pro are the only devices connected to this account. He doesn't say that he's checked his Android device to make sure that there aren't two accounts connected to well, that Well, scroll device. down. Scroll down, though. There's other people saying if they've never seen, they have no clue why it's even, like, they can't even speculate like he can. Trying to find it. I don't know, I guess I can't find it right now. But that was Right there, just one thing of what can happen by using some of these services, using some of these cloud services like this. And with what you stated with that, the fact that Alexa needs an all-time on connection, whereas you said Google Home does not? Yeah, not, not necessarily in the APIs. I'm not sure about the Google Home device itself. I have one in my bag, and I can... I can still do some settings with it offline, but when I first plug it up after about five minutes, she'll start telling me there's an error with the connection, but I can still tell her to uh, to set an alarm, set a reminder, um, to turn the volume up and down. Um, it can even control Chromecast through Bluetooth without being connected to the network, and the Google Home device itself can still enter into Bluetooth mode and be connected to that way to still be used as a speaker or microphone, but... Um, if you go into some of the IoT projects uh, where people have created their own Google-enabled devices, um, you can find the APIs that they're using that are provided by Google that do not require internet connection at all. Hmm. Uh, I mean, of course, you're not going to get any of your cloud services. You're not going to be able to sync your reminder from that device to your phone and to your computer unless you enable 
mm-hmm. some sort of communication for that. See, I don't, I, I don't even. I... And of course, you, I mean, you're really going to lose a lot of the functionality other than just a, a voice reminder, voice timer, voice remote. Um. Well, a lot of that I don't even encourage. Um, I'm, you know, I'm always about privacy, so I, I don't own a Google Home. I don't own an Alexa. I've never had one in my house, so just I, I don't. I don't even promote the I'll idea tell, I'll of tell it. You what, man. My Google Home is the best thing for me for cooking. Like <laughs> recipes? It, it really no. Well, it, it does have that nice feature. It, if you if you need a recipe, it can look one up for you, and it will walk you through it step by step. And you don't have to run over and click and read. You can just say next step. But you know, if I'm like if I'm frying chicken, uh, I have a small fryer, and it might hold like three breasts. Or it's very small. Or five at a time yeah it's a little fry daddy like it's it holds a gallon of oil i mean it still works regardless yeah but... so if i'm frying chicken tenders like they typically cook in about four and a half minutes mm-hmm. so you know i'll bread them and my hands are covered in bread and everything and i'll just say hey google set a timer for four and a half minutes and i've got her set to british so she comes on and goes rightio timer set for four and a half minutes <laughs> and then you know she yeah. she goes on her thing and then it just starts dinging when it's time for me to pull the chicken up and I can tap it with my elbow on the side or I can say end timer and you know, it's sanitary and I don't have to fiddle with buttons and all this stuff. Basically you know. 100% hands free if it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's absolutely great for that. And the microphone's sensitive enough. It can be all the way in the dining room plugged up and I can shout to it from the kitchen. I will not even really shout to it. I can just speak up and it'll hear me and it'll start the timer. And so uh, yeah, that is one little advantage to them, I guess. I mean, it is. Don't don't get me wrong. It's not worth the fifty dollars just for that. Don't. I mean, I'm not trying to say that. I, I would hope you'd use it more than than that. Like if I if I had one, like um, excuse me, uh, I had to burp there. Um, I mean. I, I would choose something would equivalent choose to Google something. Home, but it would be local. All the commands would be local. The sent the, you know, the node would be local. But I would want something like that for like lights. Um, you know, turn on the hallway lights. Turn, yeah. Turn off and, the and living it, room lights. It can do that offline. So that it can do things like that offline only. Okay. Yeah. But what about? It depends on the interface that it's using, but yeah. That's what I was about to get to, like Philips or these new Yee lights. Um, I don't don't know about the E lights, but Philips, unfortunately, uses Hue still, which is a proprietary system that they built on top of X10 to control their lights. I'm not sure if they have, if their newest generation doesn't require a hub if they're completely Wi-Fi only. I don't know. I know that you have to use the hub in a lot of cases for the Hue product line, so I do know that. Yeah, there's uh, there's a thing called eWeChat, which is a protocol to allow all these smart devices to connect together. And then there's also, I don't really recommend it, but there is IFTTT that can interface some technologies together, especially with some of these Chinese bulbs. But a lot of the stuff that's out on the market today uses a simple um, ESP8266 Wi-Fi microcontroller to control itself. You know, there's one basically built into every bulb. Um, and, and those are the types of setups that work really well, actually. Um, 
if anybody's ever heard of Wemos, they're pretty much the ones that are setting the standard for I actually like Wemos. Connected lights. Yeah. So I like um, Wemo for uh, for two reasons. One, they don't actually create that bad of products, but two, uh, again, you know, I don't really like the cloud in those terms, but they allow you to not bother with the cloud. It's it's either or with them. Oh, if you oh, want to oh. Be. oh. We're talking about two different things. I'm talking about Wemost. You're talking about Wemo. Oh, my apologies. I misheard you. So what's this Wemost? Wemos is they set out a set of standards, kind of like mm-hmm. Arduino does. Yeah, and so they have their own board specifications and things like that. Ah, and, uh, I see what you're saying uh, now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and post that link too, real fast. I thought you said Wemo. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can get behind Wemo. Yeah. <laughs> a Wemo does typically use a Wemos controller. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, I've always been a fan of Wemo for the sole fact that, like I said, they just they let you choose. They are like, do you you, you want to hook? Do you want to control it remotely? No. Okay, fine. <laughs> they allow you to to kind of do that. Wemo, let's check this out. I think I found the specification for the D1 Mini. But so, one thing though is, yeah, I did. I'm going to post that too. If you get on like Banggood with Alibaba, um, uh, what's another one? AliExpress, did I say that one? AliExpress, uh, yeah, I've been on there. Um, you can get on these sites and look for a Wemo, or even Amazon, and you can, whoop, I've got posted it to Winamax. Uh, you can... You can look for a Wemos D1 Mini, and you're going to find several different boards that look the same. They're supposed to have the same pinout and the same form factor, and that's one of the things that Wemos makes a specification for. But they're not actually the manufacturer. They put out their they put out their specs, and people design and print their own PCBs, assemble and sell them, abiding by that spec. Oh yeah. And so it head of market for the same device or the same. Pr- development boards but uh these things are supposed to be if i'm not mistaken about the size of a small phone charger it's about what it looks like yeah you can see the micro usb on uh the d1 spec and it is roughly like a twelfth the size of the board yeah and there's two three millimeter screws on it let's see i can measure it on that breadboard it's uh 30 well, it's going from 30 to 21, so that would be 9 millimeters, so it's probably an 18 millimeter board, if I was to guess offhand. And these are all m- most commonly the things that people could otherwise buy, you know, do-it-yourself projects and put these things together themselves. Yeah, and it, even if you don't, you can actually find these in many uh, commercial products already, such as, I know for a fact that... Um, Switchmate uses an ESP32 microcontroller, which is on a lot of the Wemos boards. Uh, that's one that's Bluetooth and Wi-Fi enabled, but they're only using the Bluetooth because they say that the uh, their code, when they initiate Wi-Fi, drains batteries too fast, and they're still using standard disposable AA's on the Switchmates. 
Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the other lights controller that we had that we hacked apart that had an ESP8266 in it. Um, wow, my mom went blank. Hmm. Anyway, several uh, several of your run-of-the-mill Wi-Fi-enabled uh, switching outlets, um, either low-brand or no-brand, usually employ this microcontroller. But one scary thing, if I can ever remember the name of that switching device was that um, they actually had a remote node somewhere and there was uh, not necessarily a bug, but there was a lot of code in the firmware and it would actually transmit your Wi-Fi password. Once you put it into this device, it would transmit it to an offline ser- or offshore server. And so they were harvesting these people's router passwords and for whatever reason, mm-hmm. And maybe even some network traffic that they were slapping on. Yeah. They're not sure on that still to this day. Yeah, that's not good in terms of. Uh... Um, there was a there was a subsequent firmware update uh, from them, but their reputation I don't think um, ever recovered from it. And I do believe they either tanked or they did like Walmart and yeah. their many brand names and just changed names. So you're. But, uh, the open source community did put out several custom firmwares to control this device that did not have these uh, security holes in them. That's oh, beauty of open source. So you're, you know, you're big on on do-it-yourself projects. Uh, what do you think in terms of uh, of uh, right to repair? What companies are doing to right to repair? You know, they're trying mm-hmm. to take. Are you talking take about a- like how Tesla is saying that? You can't service your own vehicle. That if it needs to be serviced, they'll send a tech out, or they'll come and retrieve your car and give you a loaner, even for the entire life of the vehicle. Uh, that one I'm not up to date on. The only thing I know regarding Tesla lately is they are having trouble. Actually, I think it was Texas said that they can't service their own vehicles. I think that's what it was. Yeah, that was that was when that came about because Tesla didn't want anybody to service except their them. vehicles except for them, and and I understand that with all the technology that's going in there and all of the even the heat that they're under right now for their self driving things and stuff like that, they're under a lot of liability for the product that they put on the road. So, it, it by putting a clause in there stating that if a third party person touches this equipment. You know, it's very easy for a third-party person to do something wrong and cause an equipment malfunction that can result in a fatal crash with their vehicles. So, so I totally understand them wanting to do all the repairs because I can agree that to that. The scope of their liability. I could agree to the to the Tesla thing. Um, I can't remember if it was the F, FTC or FCC uh, last year or so. I'm sure you're aware of it. Where companies still put if you remove this warranty void stuff like that. Well, the FTC said that's got to go. You know, you can't do that anymore. People need to clean because how else are we supposed to open up our PlayStation, our Nintendo, uh, to actually clean it? You know, to get the actual dust out. There's only so many times you can take air duster to it or a vacuum. Um, yeah, because really, that's just going to pack it in. I mean, despite what they try exactly. to do, they're, they're still liquid inside of the canned air. I mean, it's compressed. Yeah, I don't oxygen. even recommend it. 
unless it's a open case uh, computer tower. Yeah, and even then, it may not be so great. Don't ever turn it upside down and spray it. Yeah, I like. I would love for people to just have that as common knowledge, but it's not. Um, the other thing is, uh, I think Apple's behind it too. Um, I'm not sure about Microsoft. I know John Deere is behind it, but a lot of these companies don't want you to uh, do what you want with your product. Now, where I can understand where you draw a line, like as an example, I presented or an argument I presented to someone. Um, it was back when GeoHots. You remember the whole GeoHots thing with PlayStation? How he cracked the firmware, and then Sony went after Hots, and so on was and this so forth. The PS- it was the P. The big deal was the PS3. No, I don't recall this. I and do then, recall. I do recall an issue that came up in court where Pardis, which was a Turkish distribution of Linux based on Gentoo, um, made a version that would automatically compile itself on the PS3 when the PS3 first came out, giving you a full Linux desktop on the cell architecture. Oh, and, that was done with the other OS feature, which Sony removed at one point. Yeah. Which was a low blow to the community because that's half the reason some people may have bought the PlayStation. But and it, there was no reason not to because at the time and even today, the PS3 still stands as a great computer. Still to this day, model. yes, actually it does. Yeah. If you can, if you can, if you can load up a Linux desktop on it, it's great and it's portable, it's lightweight, and it, it, a lot of desktops you can still buy on the shelf today. It is. It is actually a great machine. It does a lot of. Um, you can do a lot of number crunching too. The cell, the cell architecture is actually an advancement of the PowerPC architecture that Motorola had created with Apple back in the day, and that really what got Apple back up off their feet. Besides the iPod, yeah, the iPod um, really saved. So the PlayStation, the way that I presented the right to repair <laughs> with the PlayStation is, um, I can totally understand, and this comes in from, like, uh, I think the DMCA has exemptions now with, like, you, you're allowed to crack software now and things like that. As, I mean, as long as you pay for it, et cetera, et cetera. But um, uh, the PlayStation, I can understand, when you buy it, it's yours, okay? I honestly consider the firmware yours. It's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Like, for example, I... Um, you know, I need to open up my PlayStation and clean it. And then if I get on Gran Turismo... And I've already beat most of the game before uh, it was stolen from me. Long story. But I didn't want to go through all those tedious hours of doing this again. So I, I cracked the game save. And I gave myself $99 million. Okay. I could totally understand where they wouldn't like that. But the thing is, I'm on my own network. I'm not signing online. I'm not going online and disrupting the ecosystem with this. I'm staying to myself, I think that should be okay. Now, where I would be completely understandable of where they drew the line with modifying or repairing your own hardware and software is if I did that and went online and took advantage of what I did. Like, I now have $99 million I can spend online. Okay, that's fair. I totally, un- that completely circumvents the whole purpose. All right? But, they're literally trying to stop you from changing your battery in the iPhone. Your battery. And and it's the bad thing is it's Apple that's pushing for that, for you not to change the battery in the iPhone that was manufactured by Samsung. Yeah. And Apple Apple has always been a fifty fifty 
case scenario between open source and closed source. You know, they, they've released Darwin and the source code for it, and we can all trace its history all the way back to the mock kernel and to BSD4 and to GNU Next Step, you know, all the way up to what it is now. And, and we can see the origin of how the modern-day OSX is derived from the primitive version of Darwin um, before the modern packages have been applied to it. Primitive, primitive yeah. and Darwin in the same sentence. <laughs> well, it truly is, though, at this point. Um, I mean, back when it was named Darwin Project, it was innovative. Yeah. But that's, that's been like almost 30 years ago that that work even started, truly. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe more than that. I mean, BSD four its first derivatives uh, came along in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing we need to look at here is like a sectorization. So, yeah, you own the device; you have the rights to modify the hardware and the firmware. You should. That's the whole stance behind being able to copy a ROM off of a cartridge. If you actually own the cartridge, it, you know it's yours to do as you please. And so that's how there are legit copies of ROMs out on the internet um, and available for fair use if you do legitimately own the cartridge. You can download that instead of having to hack apart your own cartridge since you own the cartridge. Nintendo but hates that. You, you own the right to the data inside that cartridge. That's really what you're paying for and for the namesake and the copyright that come with it back in the day. Um, but the thing is, is there's that limit of liability again. You know, just like if you go back to the Tesla situation, if you say that it's okay to go and modify the firmware, people are going to start hacking their Teslas, and there's, just, you know, it's, it's well, going to be like a, it's going to be like the Mercury lead sled. Back in the '30s, when you seen a Mercury lead sled on the road, you knew to stay like 18 car lengths away from it because it was either going to fly down you at 90 miles an hour, or it was going to be doing 20, and the brakes weren't going to work on it, and it was going to hit you with all three tons of its weight and still crush you. And just destroy your car and your family, and you know, break the little wooden wheels on your Model T. Yeah, yeah this <laughs> so is true. It's just, a, it's just a an omen. I mean, so we can't unleash the hell, but yes, we do need in different departments and different sectors of service. There needs to be an ability to freely go and modify. Um, well, here's here's some of the reason that I stand behind that we should own it once we buy it. Um, in most cases, is because if you look on some of your older DVDs, some of your older CDs, like the one the ones you actually buy from the the store, from the disc exchange and uh, Comp well, USA and all these other businesses don't well, exist anymore. Well, s- s- sometimes I, I I would <laughs> I, I don't know if it would be on especially the AOL discs, but if you if you um. Man, you didn't buy AOL discs. They gave away from Walmart, this, and they mailed them to you too. Uh, yeah, even when you don't even request it. Uh, if you look on there, there's a clause that says you don't own this copy. This is a licensed copy. You do not own this. And I, I personally believe that's wrong because if the disc breaks, who's sending me a new one if I'm licensing this? Right. Well, you're not licensing the disc itself. You're licensing the data. But it's on the disc. And it is. that's how they sold it to me, so I should get a new disc. That's why they didn't sell them. That's, that's... Well, they did, they did sell them, but if you were if you were insane enough to pay for an AOL disc when they were just... No, not, thrown, not those. Yeah. I mean, like, actual movies and oh, okay. music. Yeah. So still, you don't own the rights to that movie. You own the right to that copy of it and to watch it. But what happens if it breaks? Yeah, I should get a new disc. But if you if you were to not if it was an unlicensed version, 
that means that you would be getting royalties for it. Well, you don't have to own it to get royalties, but I mean, if you yeah, there's a whole there's a whole abstraction of ownership here that we're talking okay. about. Okay, so all right, the movie comes out, it's great. Someone tells me to buy it so I can watch it. I go out, I buy the disc, I look on the disc, and it says, "You do not own this. This is a licensed copy." If ten years down the road that disc breaks, I should get a new copy because. It's not mine. I'm leasing it. I'm licensing it. Why don't I get a new copy if I'm licensing this? This is a licensed copy. Because what it means by you do not own this is that Warner Brothers or Fox Studios or whoever produced that movie is the one that owns the movie. And they're the ones that are getting the royalties that you just paid out by buying that disc. And the rights to watch that copy of that disc. Once you break it, that was your copy of that disc and your licensed copy. So you broke your licensed copy. So then you would have to purchase another one, which would pay them out another royalty. Okay. I just had to present that because it was one of the things that I thought would be an interesting idea and a couple of other people. So i got to ask people some really crazy, insane questions once in a while. <laughs> well, you know I always enjoy them. <laughs> but it's 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 interesting seeing how the right to repair um, – but see, the, the one, of the reasons I, or one of the reasons I brought it up is because this is going to affect – a lot more things than we want it to and i don't think everyone's aware of this uh batteries um installing your own headphone jacks um simply replacing your screen because it broke uh updating your software because they failed to update it um like you know how in linux you can up put a patch in yourself you can... So, so I thought the issue here was that somebody was fighting for the right to repair. Uh, there's people, there's, there's people for... fighting for it, but there's people fighting against it. Like you shouldn't be able to repair it. Like John Deere, for example. John Deere is one of the people that don't want um, people repairing their own um, tractors and stuff. Apple. Well, it, in John Deere's namesake, their equipment was supposed to be reliable and long lived, and so when you put the repair into the hands of the masses as it has been with John Deere for the past 70, 80 years where you can go buy parts off the shelf and repair your own tractor. Uh, it ruins their reputation and their level of quality because of, you know, under par or subpar repairs that then cause their equipment to fail again. And you don't, in this area, John Deere's honestly have a horrible reputation. The bigger tractors here are Ford's and Matthew Ferguson. <laughs> uh, New Holland is more popular out west and up north, but pretty much, and you know, International is basically out of business except for their semis. But the old International tractors, the old Ford tractors, new Ford tractors, and Kubota, 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 Ford, and uh, Massey Ferguson. That, that's that's the three biggest ones in this region, as far as farm equipment goes, and even just heavy duty equipment. Um, until you get up into Caterpillar range and Volvo. So it'd be fa it'd be fair to say that you're for the right to repair for like small uh, PlayStation, smartphone, but not. You go and buy a desktop tower. Ever since the nineties, there's been a sticker on the little back panel there, and if you slide that side cover off that tower, it changes colors on that sticker, and it lets them know that that, that sticker's been pulled off, so that your warranty's void. 
you you as a consumer have the right to void your own warranty if you choose to and that's why there's still parts available at best buy you can go and buy ram and a hard drive and things like that and upgrade your own power it shouldn't power. void it though this is my but argument it, to open it up you have to clean it i mean to clean it you have to open it up said that backwards well <laughs> the thing is though in a proper usage scenario in two years, which is usually probably far further than what the warranty from a manufacturer on a tower is. Usually it's just a year, isn't it? It's 90 days from the retail chain usually, and then it's a year – that the year tax on from the manufacturer, yeah. So if I buy a Dell Tower and within a year it needs to be opened up and cleaned out, that means it's been put in a usage environment it shouldn't have been in to comply with the warranty in the first place. That's – I can see consider that neither here nor there. Like it that that's what and I, I say that because the user should regularly clean it anyway, no matter where it's at. Right. So I don't I don't really care where it's at, but the 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 uh, I, I'm happy, I'm really happy with my thermal take look because it's got filters on it that are all external, and yeah. you know I pop two buttons and all my air intakes have a very very nice mesh filter that I can take out and wash and put it back right and that really, type of stuff right there that should never void anyone's warranty. all you're doing is caring for your pc that's it well that doesn't void mine with my case yeah. because i can access my filters externally but like a and laptop what about no, a laptop a laptop's a little different it's tricky um, most people don't have the skills honestly that to do much more than take a can of air duster to a laptop after several years uh, I think there's a, a failure from the manufacturers and the design concepts and principles that are being put out in quality control. Um, yes, laptops are getting much thinner like phones are, and they, they are starting to make them out of more durable materials like titanium frames and things like that to prevent them from warping like the one that I'm currently using. It, it has a nice 15-degree uh, curvature to it. Uh, I'm not sure how the motherboard hasn't broken traces or anything, but it, it still it works perfectly fine. Um it's just it's naturally tapered to my lap now. Um, nice. Yeah, speaking of that too, I think that we need to do a show sometime on the concept of RF radiation coming from the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth adapter and these laptops being on the bottom instead of behind the screen, uh, causing testicular cancer. You know, very, very funny you brought that up. Just the other day, I mentioned that I have never ever recommend anyone sit a laptop in their lap because of it's it's dangerous it's just it's it's, it's always been dangerous ever since the it first is dangerous one laptop, Pentium one laptop it can shock you for okay. god's sake well not even that it had the nickname <laughs> coffee warmer because oh. it literally put second and third degree burns on people's legs yeah um all these issues with batteries i mean laptops back in the day were some of the first things that have issues with exploding batteries besides cars that too you just no. And the battery <laughs> on the bottom right there against your leg. Yeah. yeah. But yet here I am with my laptop sitting on my lap. What do I do about it? Well, you've you've already been through. I mean, what else could it have do to you now, right? <laughs> right. I, right. I mean, my Wi-Fi card is probably giving me testicular cancer now and prostate cancer. But now they have cellular yeah. modems in laptops now. It's even where you got you got Bluetooth, wireless, now cellular. And then we're talking about adding in Sigfox and LoRaWAN. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get the whole RF spectrum here going. And, oh, yeah. and 5G, 5G Wi-Fi plus two plus the 2.4 gigahertz. Oh yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, that, so it's two Wi-Fi radios now. 
we have. Yeah, two completely different frequencies. Yeah. Uh, spectrums in the RF field. I mean, we're really looking at broad spectrum radiation from these things. Yeah, I never leave my smartphone like sit on me. It's always away from me when I'm not using it. And you know, another thing is the fact of the heat from these laptops when they're sitting on your legs, even without causing burns. As we must know, when you heat a material up, such as a metal or wood or skin cells and muscle tissue, those things expand. They contract when they get cold, they expand when they get hot, and when they expand, they actually become much, much more susceptible to radiation. Um, water begins to fill into the pores or cells membrane, and it, it's just like a giant antenna. And it allows this, this radiation to permeate it much more effectively. The resistance goes down. You become more conductive. I don't know about some of that. Like I, I'm just uneducated about some of that. But yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it makes sense. It is a... Like uh, when I was in school, we did this... I did this uh, radio project where we did a... We, the school had a radio station, but they let us run a small secondary campus station under the uh, FCC's, you know, Part 15. So... We're broadcasting to a campus, yo. Like, part F, part fifteen went a very long way for us. Okay, <laughs> you know, yeah, so you're probably what a, a mal fifty watts transmitting power. Probably going about two miles, three miles. It's going somewhere. Well, the the ring. It was a ring that was the transmitter or the, the antenna, pretty much, or whatever. Oh, so the, a UHF loop. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, he said, "Don't ever rest on this, ever." And he was, he was like, "I'll, I'll let you do it now, just so you can get it out of your system." He was like, "Just touch it for one second, and move your hand," and I, I did, and it, lit, I could feel just a tiny burn on my finger. And I said, "And we use cell phones? We put cell phones in our hands? And this, this is capable." Of this, it can burn your skin. And he told me this other time. He was in a some other radio station, and there were, of course, uh, transmitters everywhere. And he said he was standing somewhere underneath one, and he started to smell something. He was like, what is that? And then he put his hand on his head, and he realized his hair was sizzling because he was standing under one of those uh, loop thingies. And yeah. <laughs> People, people really don't understand the dangers of electromagnetic and radiation. Yeah. And any time that electricity conducts, there's both an RF field, electrical field, and a magnetic field, and sometimes even a capacitive field that's uh, that's accompanying that. And then there's also second and third order harmonics that allow you to possibly couple with these fields uh, in, of course, a magnitude of lesser strength. But it's still possible. It's enough that when a dog goes and pees, it, my, dog, my dad had to help develop a system for uh, Con Edison to be able to go down and identify objects that were on the street that were uh, able to be capacitively coupled because this woman was walking her dog and the dog started to pee. And the stream of pee from the dog became an antenna and coupled with a light post and was sending 220 volts through the dog. And when it started, like, sizzling and shaking out from being electrocuted, she thought it was having a seizure or something. She reaches down to pick it up, electrocuted and killed the owner, too. I and the dog wasn't peeing on the light post. He was, like, you know, four, five, six, seven feet away from the Oh, yeah, I believe that. And, I mean, and there was no wires or anything, because it's all underground in New York. Um, 
it was just purely through the air, it coupled with this dog's pee stream, electrocuted the dog and the owner both. It was just enough to do it. And, and it's the same. It's the same principles as what was burning your instructor's hair. Yeah. And what these cell phones and these Wi-Fi cards are doing to our bodies. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not. The, big... the reason that Ethernet cables are in twisted pairs is so that the return stream of data cancels out the field that's created by the positive flow of data. And so it can block its own interference. And then even then, it still has to be shielded with a ground shield. Yeah, yeah. All this... radiation out and to keep its own radiation in. Yeah. All this is... I mean, I wish there was some sort of better way to convey this education, but... Like to to the masses, I mean to like everyday people that don't know any, like the people that come in and go, I need a, I need a memory card, and they're talking about an SD card for their camera, right? We need a way to, to somehow educate them. But then the problem is that they don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen. It's boring yeah. to them, right? How, how do we do that? <laughs> it's just we're in day too because they're like, oh, we like this stuff, but don't tell us how bad for us it really is. Yeah, nom nom noms yeah, on the sugar. Don't tell us. Don't tell us how malicious these things are. How uh, how easy it is for somebody to walk up and just destroy my whole Wi-Fi network with a little chip embedded in their watch. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's all possible. It, it, they sell they sell these damn watches. I seen them last night for thirty three dollars off of TND, and it's just it's a complete Wi-Fi D author for two point four and five gigahertz both. So you walk up, it's got a, a, a 2DB and a 5DB antenna boat. 5DB? So, yeah. In a watch? Yes, a 5DB transmitting antenna in a watch. I mean, that's cool. Uh, but damn. <laughs> yeah, so you, you don't even really have to get up to the house. It, you know, you can, you can be down the block. Drive by it. And just knock everything down. He just terrorized the whole block for no reason. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> well, hell, twenty dollars you get on Wish, and you can get one great big outdoor Wi-Fi antenna that has its own uh, uh, three watt transmitter receiver built into it. I had and an it's AP. On, it's on a, a twenty-five dB monopole antenna, and it has about a three-mile range. I can't remember the AP specs that I had. I had to look it up sometime, but it could it could go over a mile. I could pick up things for over a mile. It was really nice. It's extremely nice. I just I, I didn't even fully set it up. I just kind of set it towards the window in that general direction, which was bad for me. But I only did it for like ten minutes, and then was I it a direction in your camera? It was pretty much directional, uh, and. John? Which I'm, if you yeah, yeah, I'm here. If you target in mind, a directional antenna is very cheap and an affordable way to... But, it was uh, pretty think, much a directional antenna. Into my excitedness of things I don't really want to share with the public. <laughs> I understand. Well, in that case... We need to switch from the black hat back to the white hat here. Oh, that... I got you. Well, no, it... we've been going for a little while here. We'll go ahead and wrap up. But I definitely want to do, do another cast with you. Um, well, I'll be glad to be back. Alright, well, guys, thanks for listening. Remember, you can always catch me at tyclifford.com. And you can email me, ty, at tyclifford.com. If you want to be be a guest on the show, 
let me know. Tweet me at Snake512. Join the Discord channel. Hit me up on Facebook. Do what it is you need to do uh, to, get a, to get a hold of me because I'm always interested in hearing what other people have to talk about because like, fuck what I have to say, right? I want to know what everyone else has to say about the world. Anyway, thank you for listening again. This is uh, on Ice Snake's podcast, Timescast. Bye-bye. <laughs>